Hello, listeners, and welcome to Drunk Book Club, where we read authors and books that you've probably heard of and probably didn't bother to read. My name is Vry. I am drunk on two ciders. <laughs> I'm Dorothy. I've had a couple of spiked eggnogs to uh, keep with the spirit of the season. Because it's Christmas! Yay! Yay! And Merry Christmas to you if you celebrate it. Um, it is still Hanukkah while we're recording, so I hope you had a good one if you celebrate that. And everybody else, you know, I hope you're also having a good day. Yeah. Any and all winter festivities. Yay. I'm not having a good day. <laughs> you're unhappy on Christmas? I'm unhappy on fake Christmas. Because <laughs> this fucking book. But, but, Vry, this is the most Christmassy book we could think of. Fuck you. I'm why this? <laughs> Listeners. We were at the Da Vinci Code. It's fucking bad. Like, spoilers. I know I'm really bad at, at hiding my opinions on the stuff we read anyway, but this one's extra fucking bad. Yeah, it's almost as though there's something sort of loosening your tongue, making you, uh... <laughs> I'm not drunk enough. I know I'm a cheap drunk, but I'm still not drunk enough. Slider number three, here we go. Hun, <laughs> you sure you shouldn't switch over to water? No, we want fuck you to that. continue this... to be able to speak throughout this. Rise this is very book, it doesn't drunk. deserve it. It doesn't deserve it. Um, so this is gonna... no, no. This book deserves everything it's about to get. <laughs> this book is going to be kind of weird to talk about because I think I'm not entirely sure of the age range of you listeners out there, but the events around this book coming out are almost more interesting than the book itself. The legend of the book now it, eclipses the actual text. It was a... Fe- well, you know, God not unlike... It. No. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> he walked into that one. He walked right into that one. I hate it. <laughs> he just set it up. I mean... Yeah, in this case, this book has sort of a legend surrounding it that that is much more significant and much more important than uh, than the truth, which is shrouded in legend. You can't see it, listeners, but I'm glaring at her. I think they can hear. It, it, it's very audible. It's tangible, actually. Yeah, don't <laughs> use that word until we can we get their sponsorship, which is a very likely occurrence in the future. God, can you imagine using an Audible sponsorship to uh, to buy this book? <laughs> like, like to be sitting there and going, you know, I could read the Da Vinci Code, but that's just too much work. I, what was? What does this book even look like in audio form? Half of it is just like logic blank puzzles. Uh huh. Well, half of it is logic puzzles, and the other half is the blank space from every page that is a new chapter. Do you know how many chapters this book has in it, listeners? It has a fucking. I think it's. No, that's the epilogue. I went too far. Oh, it has far. that many and an epilogue. Turn that's back true. two pages. Turn back two pages. Oh, wait for it. We'll cut this. 105 chapters and an epilogue. How many pages is it? This paperback edition is 454 with very large print. <laughs> so, so four pages per chapter. It's just, it's so long. So, older listeners, please bear with us. Uh, let's give a little bit of context for our younger listeners. Uh, this book came out in 2003, so right at peak Bush presidency, uh, right after 9-11, more or less. Yeah, um, I was uh, 17 at the time. I was thir- 12 or 13. 
And I lived on the East Coast, so a lot of the Bush-era paranoia stuff really was impacting just my day-to-day existence. It's interesting. I'm not sure how much younger viewers, listeners, words do. <laughs> Readers. There we go. <laughs> are, are aware, like, that, that the some of the cultural mentalities that, that are accepted now were very new at the time. This, you know, we, we have, we are this cultural entity with with a lack of secrecy and who who gets that secrecy and what's for the benefit of the greater good and all that shit there was a lot of interrogation of organized systems but usually it it tended to be directed in very specific critiques of administrations and things like that i mean the ideas in this book aren't necessarily new they're very much similar to the medievalist stuff that Tolkien was doing with the Lord of the Rings, but they're also very post 9-11 in terms of like... The execution and the philosophy. And also the fact that the general theme of this book isn't that like the system is necessarily wrong. No, it's my most hated trope! Yeah. Yeah. We're just waiting for the real king. That's right. We don't need to tear down the monarchy. The real good king just has to come back. And then the monarchy will work fine, you guys. Yeah, yeah. The the problem isn't a corrupt system with the power in, in the hands of one group and uh, a subjugated underclass. No, no. The problem is that the underclass isn't being properly tended by the person with all the power. And if we just got gave all of that power to the right person... Then everything would be fine. And don't you worry your little heads. This also work hinges pretty much on um, the idea that the reader is getting let in on a secret. The leader, the the reader is, is being allowed to demonstrate to themselves their own cleverness. Right. Because these are all secrets that like, we can't afford to let this out to the world because that would be a disaster. But you know, now you you know, you're part of the secret secretness. And you got to do the word puzzles. You got to do the word puzzles that are so hard that we had to get noted symbologist Robert Langdon to do them. The true Pope, if you will. Oh my God. That was the last, by the way, that was the last really good joke that South Park did. Bunny Pope. Bunny Pope was great. Hippitus Hoppitus Reus Domine is a fucking good joke. Uh, is it accurate? Is that the truth? I, I mean, I know as an Catholic. <laughs> the lapsedist Catholic. They don't want my gay ass back. <laughs> Bunny Pope would. Yeah, Bunny Pope loves everybody. Have we gone so far? Because, like, about a month after this book came out, Everybody already, it, it was like some crying game shit where everybody knew the twist. Have we gone so far that people don't know the twist anymore? I don't know, but I want to tell the whole plot such as it is anyway. Okay, so we'll, we'll just get to the twist in its proper time. Uh, so, so Robert Langdon is an American intellectual. He's a symbologist who is in Europe for some unspecified conference shit. Yeah, he did some speaking at some places. And we know he's in Paris and it's post-9-11 Paris because in post-9-11 Paris you have to register your passport at your hotel. And he's thinking about how strange and different this brave new world is about that. Okay, but I was in Paris right after 9-11. I was like in middle school, granted, but I do remember that Parisians at that time did not care for the American soldiers who were taking a tour there. Like, I mean, yes, fair, but I didn't have a good time. I was 12. It wasn't my fault. (laughs) My grandfather went to Paris around that time. I I never went, but I... But I do remember him bringing back souvenirs. 
The fact that my grandfather went to Paris around that time has always interested me because we don't know what he did. Was it secret spy shit? As I said, as I... (laughs) See, as I said, I grew up on the East Coast. As did, you know, my mother because my grandfather worked for NSA and we don't really know and we'll never know because he's since passed what precisely he did. He did secret spy shit in Paris. He absolutely did secret spy shit in Paris. Dan Brown wishes he was your grandpa. Fuck. That's fucking awesome. No, my grandpa was not Robert Langdon. No, your grandpa was considerably better. The most fucking pompous. Oh, he is a piece of shit, yes. This is I hate Robert Langdon. This book this is pretending is the Mary Sue character. Well, and also this book the is like Sue. pretending it's not a book about um the middle aged college professor who dates a hot nubile young woman. By just cramming that together with a traditional thriller plot. Uh-huh. She does no, they don't <sighs> agree to go out at the until the end of the book, which takes place over one day. So it's totally different from those self insert books about middle aged college professors who date nubile young women. Entirely different, you guys. Plus it's Tom Hanks in no, the movie. The do movie not brag version, on, no, don't bring Uncle Tom into this. We're just going to move on from that and never use that phrase ever again. Fuck. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know you're fond of referring to various media personalities as uncle this or that, but... I'm just saying that all of the older white men in Hollywood are the uncles who will inevitably disappoint us in time. Tom Hanks already disappointed me. He turned into a bunch of horrifying, same-facey oh, computer monsters. That's not his... The Polar Express is not Tom Hanks's fault. He bears more blame than almost anyone else, since he's most of it. I will concede this point. <laughs> so, Robert Langdon gets a call in the middle of the fucking night. At his Paris hotel, which where he's staying at a hotel in Paris, because he's important enough to be at a Paris hotel. In Paris, where he is. In Paris, France, which is in France. It's a Parisian city in France, you might say. We're moving on. He gets there, and the book is the most annoying thing, because there's this habit of writing that the book has. That has plagued Rye. <laughs> I hate it so much. The book will do this thing where it kind of wants to cre- manufacture fake tension. So a character will walk into the room, and it'll, and it'll talk about this and that happened, and I noticed that thing. I can't believe that that thing happened. And then the end of the chapter will come, and we'll have no fucking idea what that thing is, even though the character is clearly observing it, and we are ostensibly in the character's POV. And then, three- and then literally the next page. Uh-huh. Oh, 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 because every chapter has a full page break. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, chapter initial is halfway down the page in order to fluff it to that 400-some pages. It's fucking pathological. Half of these chapters are literally one page long but split between two pages. And it also does the thing that, as a professional editor, I loathe, where this book has taught writers that if they are writing any kind of thriller or fantasy novel, I see it a lot in fantasy novels, that... Well, this is both. If if you can't figure out how to convey information through one character's limited perspective, who is your point of view character of your two or three, usually you shouldn't have more than four or five unless you're a fucking expert who's been writing a long time, don't worry don't, don't worry, don't rewrite to try and convey that information through the characters you've chosen. 
just make one paragraph that's from the point of view of an incidental character and then never speak of that character again. I hate it. It is my biggest pet peeve as an editor, and I guarantee that it like I get that it's not entirely young authors faults because they see it in published bullshit like this and can sit, figure this is fine this isn't lazy writing at all not understanding that sometimes lazy motherfuckers get published especially when it's a thrill ride I hate it, it it's so fucking frustrating because it creates a sort of a mock or an aping of the traditional type of third-person omniscient perspective that was the standard for novels in, you know, the late 1800s, where there was an expectation of an omniscient, not just narrator, but an omniscient presence, existence in the world, when there was a belief that there was a truth and the narrator could vocally articulate things that none of the characters would ever know, because the narrator in these cases is essentially God. But th- that doesn't fucking make sense in writing now. Because postmodernism happened. Yes, and I know that I, I said all of this in a taco restaurant a week and a half ago while drunk. Because that's what it's like <laughs> living around me. No, but you have to tell them now so that it's preserved on the internet but forever. Yes, now I have to inflict it on all of you. But that sort of perspective is antithetical to our understandings of how things work. We can't trust that... That there is an objective truth in a story. That's not an expectation that any of us have when we're reading. We believe that interpretation is not only present with any book, but is part of the process of reading. Right, because not only is the character biased by their own upbringing, the author themselves, whether they mean to or not, brings the biases of their own upbringing and lived experience. Right, like, like this is some fucking Sister Carrie bullshit. I don't know what that is. I don't even know what that is. I'm drunk. It's bad. Okay. I didn't like it. But yeah, this this is some bullshit where if you are writing in a modern context and you believe that there is an objective truth and you have the narrator explaining the objective truth, then fuck off, Ayn. Like, the reason Lemony Snicket works as a narrator is because A, that is, it's, Lemony Snicket is himself a character with his own biases. Right, in that case, the narrator is the framing device for right. the story. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. But in the Da Vinci Code, the reason this is immediately relevant is because it takes chapters and chapters to tell us that Robert Langdon's friend, the curator of the, uh, the Louvre in Paris, died uh, naked and contorted and with like a bloody message scrawled on the floor. And a pentagram. That's true, and a pentagram because of reasons. And it is in the Da Vinci wing and right in front of the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Because gotta get that shit on the cover. Mm-hmm. And of course we already know we already know why he died and who killed him, so there's no actual mystery there. Because we also spend some time in the POV of this albino monk named Silas. A grotesque in the traditional sense. Yes. This character is a grotesque, as in there is something physically different from a mainstream normative person which makes us both pity and loathe them. Right. Like that That's the literary function of a grotesque. And Langdon's dad, Brown is trying to die. It's the <laughs> same thing. Slip. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> And Brown is trying to do that. 
Right, yeah, it's... And, but all it really means is that, that Brown is scared of those icky, weird people who are different from him. Oh, shit, he does He's it twice. Oh. Oh, shit. No, he... three times. Oh, fuck. A lady. Oh, fuck. So, yeah, the mystery because, like, there's a message scrawled on the floor, and Langdon's been called in because he was the last guy who was supposedly going to be in contact with this curator. And uh, there, uh, there's a French policeman. He's very snooty. God, I hate him. He's completely pointless. He's like a shitty. Ver- he's like a shittier French version of. He's like if Inspector Javert didn't exist for any other reason, like wasn't a character beyond his need to Im- impede the plot. Well, he he's like if Inspector Lestrade from Sherlock Holmes were being a dick for no reason. Like Lestrade has full. I I'm not talking about Sherlock. <laughs> It's, it's okay. Uh, to be clear. But, like, in the Sherlock Holmes novels and short stories, Lestrade has full fucking reason to be fed up to his neck with Sherlock Holmes's bullshit and annoyed and still respects him enough to interact with him, despite being sneeringly called shit like the best of the professionals. Well, and so, like, they think Langdon did it because there was a um, part of- As the- we learn later- Right, as we learn later, because this book likes to put things off arbitrarily. Yeah, it likes to conceal things just for the pleasure of revealing them later. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you, if you as the reader suspected this thing and then it's revealed later on, you get to pat yourself on the back for being clever. <sighs> so it, it's just those little jolts of you know neurochemicals making you feel good as you read it. So there was, Langdon was mentioned in the message in blood, which the cop erased, tampering with the crime scene. And we're assured that this is totally a thing that the French police do. Yes, totally. Yeah, we're assured that this is an actual technique that the French police do. This book yo-yos back and forth so fucking weirdly between fetishizing France and being weirdly xenophobic about France. Well, it fetishizes, you know, the classiness of France, right? But oh all, of, but all of those, all of those garbage law stuff. Yeah, how dare they? They're getting in the way of the real, true truth. A man was murdered. <sighs> a man is dead. So the curator of the Louvre, so a fairly important man. Mm-hmm. Like presumably, this is how how Diana got in charge of that. This is how Wonder Woman ended up in charge of the Louvre. Had Cannon accepted. <laughs> Except no, then don't, the, don't taint Diana Prince with this. You're right. Then this shit book <laughs> is connected to the don't, goodness of Diana Prince. And that's don't bad. Don't accept my garbage headcanon. <laughs> that's bad. I No, never mind. God, we have to get out of the museum. God. Yeah, yeah. That's how we're all feeling. <laughs> so, so Sophie, so, so this cryptologist, this nominally this cryptologist. She exists. She is the, she is the head of cabbage to whom Langdon can explain things. Uh, Sophie Neveu. I can't French, and I'm, I can't French when I'm sober, and, and I'm drunk. Sophie Neveu, played by, uh, in the movie, by fucking Amelie. Neither of us have seen the movie. Please feel free to share your own horror stories in the yeah, comments. Yeah, but, but I'm just horrified at the, the thought of adorable little Audrey Tato with America's uncle, Tom Hanks. Ew. Yeah, because she is the love interest. The book spends a long time pretending she's not the love interest, but because she is. Because it's better than that. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's better than stuff like that. It's not a romance, because 
It's better than that. Uh, because romances are for ladies, and what is the stratification of the genre system? Romances are for ladies, but also ladies who enjoy romance should feel bad about it because romance is bad. I've never read a romance. That's every article on romance in the past 50 years. You're welcome. <laughs> I have heard of a bodice ripper once, but I don't know the larger context of the genre, and I don't feel like I should have to, frankly. The genre and the subgenres. It's not like denigrated genres particularly tend to be catch-all terms for much larger and more complex ecosystems of thought. No, that would be dumb. Anyway, this bad book. This bad book. So, which is actually bad. So Sophie Nivu, Naboo shows up <laughs> and she... So Padma Amidala shows up. <laughs> and she is there to uh, save Langdon's ass. Basically the only time she really gets to do that in any meaningful way. And get him out of the museum because she knows that he's being set up for murder. By being doe-eyed and adorable. And listen, I love you all very much. Even more so now that there is a copious amount of blood alcohol content happening. (laughs) But I cannot describe for you every twisty-turny thriller brain puzzle that this book decides to do because I'll die. It literally prints the puzzles on the page. I'll die. And you don't even have to turn the book upside down and flip to the last page to to find out what they are, though. It's great. It walks you through working them. I'm not good at these puzzles. In in Langdon's very, very smart brain. I did not feel smarty smart looking at those puzzles. I just felt annoyed because I did not sign up for this. See, it sucks if you already knew what a Fibonacci sequence was when you started reading the book. Right, because part of the secret Cody message is a Fibonacci sequence that's put out of order. But the short and short of it is that they throw off the police's trail, but not for long, so they're being pursued by the police, and they have to go all over the place. In what vehicle, Fry? It's a fucking smart car. Smart cars weren't, had not yet made their way across the Atlantic Ocean to be roundly mocked by uh, people in SUVs who uh, like to brag that they could just roll over them. The boner this book has for the smart car. It's like every other thriller book when it pauses to uh, to describe to you the weapons specs on every gun that Blake Stonefist is carrying. And this is me being reductive of a genre. I've read jo- books in the thriller genre, specifically the military thriller genre, and I didn't like them. I fully admit that I'm totally doing that thing that I don't like people to do to romance, horror, or fan fiction. But this is doing the thing that really bad thrillers do, which is just get into specs on shit we don't need to know. Right, let's stop the plot for like a minute. Let's stop and the plot sh- for a minute. And, just- and show you what I read up on. Right. I, fucking, well, I mean, fucking Laurel K. Hamilton did it too, and she, like, God help us, pioneered the paranormal romance urban fantasy. That's not like other girls, and is so incredibly fat. God, at 130 pounds, her thighs touch, y'all. It's five whole pounds more than my chronically anorexic mother. Ugh. Not a joke, folks. Uh, so they go back. They actually don't leave the museum quite yet because they have to go and look at another at- painting. Yeah, because um, the the message in blood, the part that wasn't wiped away, instructed them to go look at another painting. The Mona yeah. Lisa. Yeah. So Shocker. This is one of the ones he's heard of. Right. Like, wouldn't you tell tell him to, like, go look at some more obscure... No. It's not even the real Mona Lisa, let's face it. Well, I mean... The real Mona Lisa's in London. 
Now, I know very, very little about visual art. as a shameful hold in my knowledge base, but I have been assured by art history majors that this book is utter, utter bullshit on that front. So please take that knowledge, and I will see if I can endeavor to find any links that I can include in the notes of this podcast. But, like, it's a good thing it was the real Mona Lisa. Yeah. It's a good thing that we're coming down hard on the side of that one being more authentic than the London Mona Lisa. Well, because it's French. Because it, well, because it's conveniently in the Louvre. Right. And he wrote on it. Which, I am not an art restorer. Like, my expertise with blood ends with... No, 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 no. to do blood analysis. No, he wrote on it earlier, for some godforsaken reason, it with black ink or something on the glass. So we're reassured that the actual painting was not defaced. And then, basically... These people paw a lot of antiquities. Yeah, it's it's very unsettling. So I can't I can't describe every beat of the plot for you, but partly because I've forgotten of, how dark the con of man. Why do you remember that? Because it's the dumbest fucking phrase anyone has ever written in anagram form. Yeah, it is. It isn't. There's a lot of anagrams I in this book. I believe that that um, how dark the con of man was the AOL search term. I definitely remember it featuring heavily in the marketing for the movie. Of course it did. <laughs> so, basically the short short of it for the rest of this book is they leave the fucking museum. They get and they leave the fucking Louvre. They are gone from the Louvre. The Louvre is gone. The Louvre is bullshit and and nothing. We also got a long uh, lengthy description of how fucking ugly the pyramid outside the Louvre is. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget the description about how Sophie, you know, she isn't like one of those skinny fake girls. You know, she she feels like real and a natural beauty. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I mean, just the purest rosy beauty. Right, like, she's very beautiful, y'all. Don't worry about it. She's but, very conventionally attractive. But, but Langdon doesn't think she's wearing makeup. Yeah. Is, I think, what the situation is. I think he's one of those guys... Who can see a woman wearing a full face of foundation, concealer, pale blush, nude tone, eyeshadows, eyeliner, mascara, and gloss, and be like, hey, ladies, did you know that really nice guys don't like makeup? You should be more like this. Look like a Taylor Swift video, because that's natural. You know, the early ones before she was evil. God. <laughs> so there's some shit with a car chase involving that smart car. A smart car. And and, and it's very annoying that they don't like. <laughs> and then. Like, why is it a smart car? I get the feeling it was originally written as a Mini Cooper. Because Mini Coopers are fun and cool. And then he found out there was an even smaller, more european car. Which, sure, because we are just filleting European history as hard as we possibly can. I don't think there is a Western Hemisphere in this. There's just Europe. There's not an Eastern Hemisphere either. There's mm-hmm. just the strip surrounding, you know, the Greenwich mm-hmm. line. And they go... There's nothing uh, south of the equator either. They go to a super secret bank, but not in Switzerland, because again, France, super French. Woo, France. I thought we did go to Switzerland. No, it's a super secret bank in France. All oh, right. And then... It, so, it, it wants to be a Swiss bank, but we've only got so long. 
right, we gotta do all of this in one night. Again, I cannot stress enough how much this is, like, a 24-hour period that this 450-page book takes place over. And it's super weird because there's, like, she's entitled to open her dead grandpa's because, by the way, the cryptologist they got to help investigate this murder is the granddaughter of the dead guy. Yep. Seems totally fine. Well, technically, she just showed up. They didn't actually call her. That's how they know something's afoot. But she, and she feels so sad because she cut off ties with him years earlier. Right. For reasons. The reasons. The reasons that we're going to hold off, but, but talk about and around vaguely for pages and pages and pages and pages, and it's very irritating. Also, we occasionally cut back to the, uh, the albino character flogging himself. Yeah. Not a euphemism. He's actually flogging himself. Well, probably also a euphemism. They're one and the same. This book is uncomfortable with sex. This book's... Oh, my... So, we'll come back to that. We'll yeah. come back to that. I have to get through the rest of the brief plot. Like, it's still doing the college professor fucks, fucks someone student-aged, but it's very uncomfortable with sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they get a sh- fucking thing from the not-Swiss bank, and it's... And it's a puzzle, and she may be a cryptologist, but Robert Langdon... The is, symbologist... Is uh, the one who can solve all the puzzle. Yeah, she gets to do a like. Couple- I, this would make more sense if he were the editor of Games Magazine, because <clears throat> like she's ostensibly a professional who's very good and smart at things, but mostly she's just there so that he can spout secret society factoids at her. Yeah, she's there to provide an opportunity for dialogue so that we're not literally just following Robert Langdon in and out of rooms and sitting in his head. Not that the book doesn't do that. It does in the early chapters do some bullshit where he just flashes back to some lectures he gave in his classroom so that he can explain the divine feminine. In Disney. Oh my God. The book is completely serious when it does this. Yeah. It's incredible. There's this entire fucking digression about Ariel and, and the like divine feminine symbolism in the little mermaid. Which was very purposeful on the part of the Disney animators, you guys. Yeah, like, like clearly there is an overarching hand of, of importance to all of this. But the Illuminati is never mentioned. No, we just use different names for them. Yeah. So, so what are the organizations? There's the, um, the Priory of Scion. That's the big one. And there's also the Ordus Dei. The, the Opus Dei. Yeah. The Opus Dei. Um, super so basically, sex. they're the uh, the assassins and the, <laughs> the what would you say? Perhaps the Templars. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. yeah. It, it's this is basically the blueprint for fucking Assassin's Creed, sure but with is. less, but with no stabbings and no jumping into haystacks. I object. <laughs> but the, but a lot of the uh, sequences where they're in situations do end with them, and then I just duck down an alley. Langdon conveniently has this friend who's as rich as an independent small country and who is also an expert on the Holy Grail for which they are now searching. And that is... T-Bling. T- yeah, T-Bing. T-Bing. T-Bird. T-Bag. T-Bird. No, no, it's it's T-Bird from fucking The Crow. Fuck. He managed to live through being set on fire. He got out. He got himself clean and good. And this is what he did with his life. But that's why he's disabled. No, I'm pretty sure he's di- disabled because... <laughs> no, no, he's disabled because of when the car went off that bridge. No, I'm pretty sure it's like fucking <laughs> MS or something. <laughs> pretty it, sure this man has a, has a, ge- a, a genetic 
Yeah, this man's disability, though, is, is important. It's very important. Because, again, this character is a grotesque. Boy, it's fucking... Holy shit, Dan Brown. Holy shit. Now, I am not... Dan, what the fuck? I am not an expert on disability rights in any way, shape, or form. But even I can tell. Yeah. Fucking hell, this book. Yeah, none of our disabilities are physical, so, like, come on. (laughs) Holy shit. So, with Tiebling's help, Tiebling is basically there because now we have a jet. Tiefling. No, he doesn't deserve that. So, T-Bone Steak. (laughs) Ice-T and our two intrepid explorers (laughs) get on the bus that is a plane in the air. And they go to some other places so that they can hunt more clues. Because this magical thing that she got from her grandpa has to be opened with a codex. They, They bring up the... They bring up ciphers in cryptology, and it makes me sad because gravity falls. And it feels like it's making it dirty. I mean, I feel like Gravity Falls was knowingly building on that. Like, knowingly playing with that. How dare? I'm sorry that you were unaware that it was parodying. How dare? When I was uh, 12 or so, I did, in fact, go through a hardcore cryptology phase. So. God damn it. Dipper probably read the Da Vinci Code. I hate this. Uh Uh-huh. I hate this. The episode is over. So, like, when I was a stupid 12-year-old who was somehow both Dipper and Mabel at once, you know, I was super into cryptology. And then like five years later, this book came out. I I wasn't impressed with it even at the time when it came out, but I did read it at the time when it came out because everybody was fucking reading it. Ah, uh, but Tchaikovsky sewing up is also part of the other important part of this book that we have forgotten <laughs> because he explains about the Holy Grail, which is not an object. Nope. It's, it's a an object. It's an object. Yes, it's a vagina. That's the object. Everybody's heard this conspiracy by now, right? Surely everybody... Well, I think they've heard it because of this fucking Well, yes. That's, that's my point. Is Literally no one is unaware of this conspiracy theory, right? Y'all, did you know that Jesus's blood is in the Holy Grail? Did y'all know that Jesus and Mary Magdalene fucked? They got down... Also, she wasn't a whore. That was just a misunderstanding. Okay, that is fucking legit. She probably got divorced, and it's a whole thing where they tried to slur her in later versions of the church. Yes, but also... But also... I'm pretty sure Jesus would have gotten down with hookers. But, like, my point is that Jesus was not above getting down with hookers and and student revolutionaries. That's basically what they were. Right, like, he hung out with all of these people. So, like, trying to retcon her into a high-class princess. Right, because not only, y'all, was she not a prostitute, apparently, she She, was actually part of a high bloodline. Yes, and uh, that's the Merovingian dynasty. Yep, which historians have said, hey, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. But France, babe. Fuck France. But but they went from the Middle East to France. Of course, in order because to be important and classy, because they knew that France was where classiness was would be. I'm sorry, you keep saying class, but I think you mean whiteness. They brought class to France, uh huh, in exchange for generations of whiteness. I see, I see. It's all becoming clear. It, it's very not Jewish. Yeah, that's funny. Let's come back. Let's put a let's put let's a button, button in that. Button. Yeah, let's let's attack <laughs> in that. We come back to that. So, but but yeah, um. Mary Magdalene's very valuable vagina that nobody was paying for, to be clear. I feel like we do need to stop and talk about this now because this book thinks that it did a feminism. (laughs) 
Well, it used the word yonic. It sure did. It knows what yonic symbolism is. The Descent knows more about yonic symbolism. The Rise of Leslie Vernon knows more about yonic symbolism. At least it was trying. Oh, it was trying. I don't think it succeeded, but goddamn. It tried. So we're going to have to talk about that, aren't we? Oh, fuck yeah, we are. I love that movie. If you are older, you may remember that the Catholic Church got a little bit bent out of shape about this book. They were a little bit Not about the child molestation, but this book. Yeah, no, the child molestation was fine. And this book does, which is funny because this book pulls some shit where where it invents the Opus Dei, a sect that does not exist. You just haven't been informed. (laughs) So it invents the Opus Dei to be like the extreme Catholics who are really the bad ones. We're not actually Cat- You mean the IRA? I- I apologize for that joke, Ireland. That they were just the easiest Catholic extremists I could think of. Yeah, like it's it's not it, it like, isn't no, even no. And and also full disclosure, I definitely was a witch when I was a teenager, so I learned a lot about Catholic atrocities. I'm aware that the Catholic Church has done all right. the bad things. Listen, <laughs> just even to be as, clear, <laughs> even as somebody who was raised Catholic, I am not saying that the Catholic Church is not full of shit and deserving of being criticized on many many levels. But this book <laughs> is not even bold enough to do that. It invents no. like a super super more extremer version of the Catholics. That are the real bad ones. Right. And mostly the real true Catholic, most of the Catholic Church are just rubes. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Opus Dei, who are like the, the real bad people. And then there's the, also the special or more, more important people who know the real religious truths. Right. But are for some reason like not sharing shit because something, something, this book heard the word patriarchy once. Um, but also elitism. I once had to uh, do an entire semester on why elitism is good as a philosophical uh, point. How did you when go I was in class without vomiting? Because I needed that grade, babe. Because I needed that grade, and I needed that professor to be a reader for my fucking for my fucking thesis. Academia, everybody. So this book thinks that it is due a feminism because it's about how Mary Magdalene. Was really a very important... A very important vagina. Right, exactly. Like, it's, it wants to say, like, she was really a very important prophet in the church, but it never actually talks about her works or things she did or the things she prophesied about or even no, the fucking... the only thing that matters is the begats. Right. Like, the only thing that matters is that her vagina was utilized as a vessel through which Christ was able to continue in this world. I went to college under the tutelage of a man who wrote a musical about Mary Magdalene that was off Broadway for a little bit, that tried harder than this book to actually, like... I, th- I think Mary Magdalene is probably a very interesting personage. She is and really I do, fucking interesting. And I do want to do more reading about that that time and those people as far as we know about them. Mm-hmm. I, I am very not Christian, <laughs> but I think that it's, it is a very fascinating question this book is not doing that no like this this book is is holding up the concept of the divine feminism as something that is really sad that the men haven't uh haven't kept with right like mary magdalene and what she did are not important what's important is that jesus came in her and she had a baby that's all that is really spoken up about and then that for centuries all of those babies managed to keep having babies which is just the most mind-boggling thing of all not a single lesbian in the bunch or gay person, or ace person, or person who was infertile, like, that's what's mind-blowing to me, like, at this time, in this place, because 
the number of people I know who will die without breeding. So many. Be- because of, you know, economic constraints and, mm-hmm. and just systemic reasons. Yeah. Well, like, the, the idea that definitely every generation would have continued to breed. Mm-hmm. So, and but- also there's just like one true bloodline. Right. The one truth. And like, so not like fifty-five different family groups. Well, there are two family groups. You see, it's it's very. He they, thought about this. They're gonna incest. And so the the Holy Grail is people trying to go and find the corpse of Mary Magdalene and pray at her bones, which is the thing that people do with saints. Fine, but also bullshit. Yeah, I, I one of the coolest museum exhibits I ever saw was a um, an exhibit at the Walters Art Gallery in uh, Baltimore a few years back that was relics. And it was incredibly powerful and fascinating just to go in there and see remains and reliquaries mm-hmm. of saints from all different centuries and their stories. Right. Whether or not you're theistic, history has power. Yeah. And, and there there was an immense power to it. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling these people just want to fuck the bones. Probably. Yeah. But it goes further than that, you see. Because, because then you're in a threesome with Jesus. <laughs> Listen, Jesus is a very considerate lover, unlike the devil, who really, really horns in there. And that's why nobody likes the devil's threesome. <laughs> because the devil's always just popping up in one of the goods. And, <sighs> right? and you're like, Jesus Christ, we were just trying to get And then it there's on. another person there, and it's not a good time. <laughs> you know how hard it is to, to plan for a sex act that involves more than three people? <laughs> that's when you just turn it over to orgies. <laughs> Speaking of which, this book does not stop with that whole defined <laughs> feminism thing with Mary Magdalene's bones and the fact that Jesus fucked her once. No, no, its entire idea of the divine feminism is specifically heterosexual sex acts. Right, heterosexual sex is a divine couple. It's with a divine God. act that cannot be accomplished for the benefit of men without the participation of cis women. Yep, which like it thinks it's doing a feminism, but also it's. A, exclusionary of queer people, which is weird because he he really likes to bang on the gong of the fact that Da Vinci was an homosexual. Mm-hmm. I don't trust people who use the word homosexual, I'm sorry. But but also, the divine feminine is specifically about sex acts between well, six think, men and cis women. Well, I think he's uh, implying that Da Vinci had added shared knowledge because of being closer to the feminine on account of being... And homosexual. Right, because all sexuality revolves around dick. You know, we, we need to make that, like, a thing on the show. Like, play a little trumpet sound anytime I say that. Because so often when we talk about shittily written stuff involving sexuality, it boils down to Are you thinking. Yes. What is your position on dick? Yeah. You have one, obviously. Or if you don't have one... Yeah, that's another... Do you have an aversion to them? Did you know that the Mona Lisa is a vision of the Divine Feminine because because it was actually modeled by Da Vinci and drag, thus making it a perfect harmony of male and female? I hate this book. Because even the Divine Feminine is really just a man butt-liking dick. Yeah, Dan Brown includes, like, a brief throwaway comment about how women in the Priory of Sion, the secret sect, totally held important positions in the church y'all but all of the really important movers and shakers in this theory business are men you'd think he could work in like some important religious artists from the renaissance like gentileschi no but he didn't hear about those on the google so i'm sorry that's a no-go 
what was her uh was her art of um of the murder of rapists just too edgy for him yes he feared for his dingus in those moments <laughs> the plot keeps stopping so that we can get all of these fucking long these dumb factoids that are not true uh, that are poorly researched and by the way before you get it i hear you typing stop it dan brown thinks all this shit is real yeah, no, he straight up believes that this is all real. This is not a case of, it's just fiction, it's a neat thought experiment. No, he thinks he actually, like, cracks the code, and that this is something that is being suppressed from you all. But, but Jesus is not actually divine. Right, no, Jesus is just some dude, brah. Just but, some dude. Because he wants to have it woke both ways. He wants to pretend to be woke by going into the divine feminine bullshit. But also, there's not really that. Hey, how come this book doesn't really talk about Judaism, then? I don't know. Why? I don't know. Could it be that the Priory of Sion was founded by a very probable anti-Semite? Well, that makes it sound like the Priory of Sion is something that actually exists and isn't just made up by Dan Brown like the Opus Day. No, it totally wasn't. It was made up by a different guy in the 70s. What? I know. That would be weird. <laughs> it's as though it was a completely fabricated society. And, well, and it's also, almost like this book is just a tool to... um you know, forward the agenda of the existence of the Priory of Sion. Yeah, in in that book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which which was basically this same theory, but without but the without a plot. fictional story. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah that this book is just um, fan fiction for another book in which Dan Brown imagines nope. lit- living out. No, no, it was not Dan Brown. It was another book that Dan Brown read. Right. No, but this is fan fiction for that other book that he read, where he wrote a self insert. Cracking the codes. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, the Priory of Scion was, uh, is pretty much widely acknowledged as a hoax started by Pierre Plantard in the 1970s, in which he decided that he would wank himself into history by tracing his own specific bloodline as being totally related to Jesus. And also he was uh, extremely in favor of the Vichy government in France set up by the Nazis. So it's weird that this book is like, Jesus wasn't divine, you guys, but also Christianity is still the way to go. But, like, the real Christianity, where we treat women like holes instead of those other people who also treat women like holes. But holes that you shouldn't fuck. We think that you should fuck those holes, and that makes us different. And those women should enjoy being fucked. That's right, because they're part of the divine process, and if they don't think so, they're bitches. And probably lesbians. Probably. Those like that, filthy lesbians. Like that bitch I hit on at a bar. <laughs> where are we in the actual... So they're going from place so, to place looking um, for clues. We're hanging with thieving. Teeming. T-Pain. T-Pain. They're on a boat. Yeah. (laughs) They're a boat in the air. We're on a boat, motherfuckers. In the air. (laughs) In the air. And they're going from place to place looking for clues to try and find the location of the Holy Grail. And meanwhile, Silas is also looking for the location of the Holy Grail. For some reason, we care about the Holy Grail. Silas is, uh... The is fucking, the albino the the albino monk who who flagellates himself because and murders people occasionally. Right. He so, so like his whole thing in the plot is he's the guy who killed the museum curator and also all the other people who knew the secrets. And also, he's just too extreme. Right. It's not again, that's why he's albino is because he's just too far over the line. Mm-hmm. So we get to this fucking church in somewhere, also in France, because again. All of the important secrets of this religion that started in the Middle East are in predominantly white Europe. 
Yeah, we literally don't need to go to the Middle East. There's nothing important there. We go to the Middle East at the very end. That's not true. Yeah, but we don't need to. Yeah. So we get to the very important temple, and it turns out, dun-dun-dun, that Ice-T was the bad guy all along Oh, that, that Silas was taking orders from. But wait, we haven't talked about Sophie's intense trauma. Oh, my God. Of yeah. the time she walked in on people banging. Yeah, that's important. She is presumably a virgin. Presumably, because otherwise it wouldn't be hot if she had had sex with other people before. Well, plus, you know, you just can't do that to that vessel. God. Yeah, Sophie was estranged from her grandfather and didn't learn all these secrets before his death. She and her brother were, like, adopted out something something. Yeah, well, and she came home for, like, college break and saw him doing a a ritual sex act for his cult and was weirdly freaked out by that and didn't call him. Yeah, her her grandfather, the curator of the Louvre, she walked in on him doing ritual sex with an old lady. No, not with an old lady, with a fat lady, which is horrifying. But, but, see, you don't understand. The Venus of Willendorf. Go on, I want to see how you're digging this hole. Oh, I didn't dig this hole. (laughs) No, but, like, it's clearly trying to evoke, like, a Venus of Willendorf thing, where all women are beautiful, but, uh, but only if they display, you know, exaggerated secondary sex characteristics. Like, the Venus of Willendorf statues, which date back to prehistory. Um, Jean Errol, however the fuck you pronounce her name, worked the Venus of Willendorf into, uh, the fucking Planet of the Cave Bear series because Ayla invented everything. And, like, the Venus of Willendorf is a small figurine. You've probably seen pictures of it. It has enormous breasts, a large, heavy stomach, um, visible vulva, and no other defining characteristics. No face or nothing. That would be gay. I mean, and... It's considered a very important mystical symbol of the divine feminine, but also it it, it is kind of very uncomfortable and dehumanizing and binary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that that vulva though, I can't I can't go down that rabbit hole of rage. I'm already so angry. Right, but I think that is what he's reaching for. There is implying that you know real women have curves, mm-hmm. and that it's only Sophie's normative understandings of physical attractiveness that made that repulsive. I meanwhile she is, you know, the most normatively attractive. Right, she natural is, beauty. She is the curvy woman who is 130 whole pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Sweet Tea is the bad guy, which, holy shit, he is, again, the only disabled character in this book. He um he uses crutches because, I, I think, uh, of forgot, a spinal. We forgot to mention the people in France. In I Paris. promise to you that I do not care. No, no, the, the people in Paris that, that you were deeply angered by, that passage. Oh, God. All right, brief story time. <laughs> so while they're escaping the museum... They go, they drive down a street in Paris that apparently is, like, the red light district. And there's... It's very shocking. Uh-huh. And Robert Langdon, Dan Brown, looks out the window and is shocked that he sees a handsome black man and also a, a trans A handsome woman. black man in a G-string. Uh-huh. And, like, I don't know what time of year this is supposed to be, but... Like, wintertime? I think it's supposed to be fucking cold out right. there. Like, I, I think it's wintertime, so... This man is working for his money. Yeah, he, he deserves all the money just for showing up. Right. And and a trans woman in a miniskirt, who is described as a beautiful bro- blonde woman, who, when she lifts her skirt, turns right. out to be, quote-unquote, not 
a beautiful woman. It fucking sucks and I hate it. Also, that's the only black person. Also the only black person in the story, yes. Funny how that works. All this secret breaking about all the things. Is a presumably queer Parisian sex worker. Yep. All, All this shit about the shit the church is hiding about the really real truth of Jesus, you guys. And not a thing about Hollywood Jesus. Look, they color-corrected Caviezel's eyes to brown. I don't know what you're... I hate it. I hate it, and I'm out of alcohol, and I hate it. I'm going to take a shot of this, and we're both going to regret it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was right. I I do hate it. I I took out the eggnog and switched to just rum a while ago. (laughs) I don't think I can go on. You talk now. (laughs) So, um... They get all the way back there, and there's one last dumbass puzzle, which is, like, a cylinder puzzle where you... It's a combination lock. Yeah, that's the shit she got out of the bank. They've been carrying it around this whole time. Right, but now they have a clue to to it, and it's like, if you rotate the cylinders to spell a word, it's a good thing that language hasn't changed. My tongue is tingly. (laughs) That's the spices. (laughs) And um, it's a good thing language hasn't changed since Isaac Newton. Yeah, no, that would be really bad if the English language had evolved. Because, yes, now it's in English, even though, you know, this entire book has been filleting the French. But we're writing this for an English English language audience. You guys, you guys, the fucking code is the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. Something, something, orbs, some bullshit. Uh Uh-huh, orbs. Crimson orbs. And Teabing can't possibly solve this because he is not and smart the way that Dan Langdon, Robert Brown. I think, and I refuse to read this book again, but I think that Sophie actually gets to put in the fucking code. She she is the one who figures out that last code. (laughs) It's apple. You guys, it's apple. The word is the English word, apple. And, like, he gets this last slip of paper and it's... Like it, it, it's a poem thing telling them about the tomb of Mary Magdalene. Which was moved quite recently. Yes, very fucking recently. But but it's a Yonic symbol. Oh my god, did you know that all Masonic temples have vaginas on them? They are vaginas. Uh-huh, apparently so. I hate this. Because, um, triangles. Y- you know that, that thing you can do with, like, a couple of V's, an X, and a Y? In and make like a, a sh- <laughs> yeah triangles or vaginas. Do you see That's- see and the bits around are like rose petals. Like do do you under so fucking the night man, and so so uh, a rose is a clitoris, but we're kind of scared to say that because Ikuhara is a braver motherfucker than all of y'all with his fucking rose gates. I will literally never get over people who are afraid to say that flowers are symbols. Uh, are yonic symbols because they look like vaginas. Like, like, I'm sorry, folks. A lily is not the symbol of Yuri because it's pretty. It's also it pretty. It is pretty. But it's also the thing a vagina. it looks like. <laughs> it, it is super a vagina. Thanks, Georgia O'Keefe. Right. Like, Georgia is braver. Well, she did deny that, that she was painting vaginas until her death. <laughs> Just like... Romero denied that he that Night of the Living Dead was about racism. Consciously. Yeah, totally. I didn't mean to. We that just happens. That Gosh. ending sequence just happened. Please can we finish this book? Jesus Christ. Ha ha ha. Merry Christmas. Uh- <laughs>
This is why I picked this for Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Christmas was good. I like Christmas. So, yeah, uh, the one disabled character in the book is also a grotesque. He uses crutches, and apparently he has a gun now because this disabled man- hidden inside his crutches the whole time. He snuck it through airport security. This you know, is the like case those... of the aluminium cane yeah. to bring it back to Sherlock Holmes. This is the unwritten case of the aluminium cane. You know, like all of those disabled people who are, I guess, just faking their disability to sneak guns through airport security. Because airport security cannot save you, y'all. Even if we are in a post-9-11 world. Oh my god, it's... I don't even have, I'm not in any way equipped to talk about the offensiveness of this. No, just, but, but you can tell. You can tell that it is. I can tell that this is a bad fucking idea. That this is a, no, don't worry about it. It's the able-bodied white people who will save the day. I just, so TV's whole thing. Um, um, doesn't Silas end up dead at some point? He does, because meanwhile, while all this is happening, there's like a secret subplot where Silas is taking orders from somebody and doesn't know who, and it turns out to be T-Pain. Um, and then T-Pain has him killed by arranging a shootout at some place where he is, and he gets shot and he dies. And there's- It was a very developed character. Something, something, you know, pain about is- fifth, You know, the person who most of the narrative was in his perspective, other than Langdon. Uh-huh. Something, Not something, really pain isn't actually as important as forgiveness. This is a poorly developed theme. Uh, because masochism is deviant. Uh-huh. Well, because masochism is here tied to, like, the denial of sexual pleasures, which clearly everybody has, and clearly masochism is not an expression <laughs> of sexuality. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not a masochist because he's into it. No, no, he's a masochist because he is denying his, his actual divine, real. His actual divine sexuality, which is heterosexual. Of course. I hate this. <laughs> I hate it so much. It's always funny to drop things like that in there and just watch you react to them. It's not good. <laughs> like, stuff I've been sitting on. <laughs> you guys, this book? This book is oh, bad. But, but we haven't explained why Sophie's grandpa was involved in this whole thing. It's because Sophie is the last scion of no, Mary Magdalene. the last. There are two. That's right. She has a brother who I guess she was estranged from after her parents were, quote-unquote, mysteriously killed in a car accident. And, like, one grandparent took one of them and the other took the other one. And it's implied that the fat lady was her grandma, but she and the grandpa have been, like, separated and only able to bang during the divine ceremonies. Right. So they do actually go to the Middle East at the very, very end, which is apparently where Mary... No, her bones aren't even fucking there! Mary Magdalene's bones aren't in the Middle East, silly head. But they do go there to talk to to Sophie's grandfather and her brother, who she's, I guess, forgotten because trauma. They gonna bang. Ew. I'm on the record. They're gonna bang and produce a new Christ child. That is is the logical ending to a book this focused on sex and bloodlines. I hate- no. That was like the one nice moment. Why would you take that from me? Because I hate this book. I hate it. Like, I tried really hard while I was reading this book to imagine Sophie as a fully developed character who I could like. Did she, she finally displayed an interest in something that wasn't directly connected to fucker McBonington. She, she's only interested in Robert Langdon and things connected to Robert Langdon. No. <laughs> but, like, that, that is why she has no interior or sexual life outside of him is because she is the last scion of Christ. 
so we can't be, you know, dirtying up her grail. Hey, isn't Robert Langdon a great representation of symbologists? She has this whole theory about how his, the way he explains shit isn't how people who've actually studied literary symbolism think. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, Langdon does not display the type of thinking that somebody who actually understands symbolism and history, he only, he only recognizes patterns as they relate to the narrative. He doesn't notice patterns that are non-normative or that are counter to his worldview. He doesn't analyze the mundane. He doesn't analyze the trivial. It, his symbol is... It, he has he has Arkham Knight detective mode shit going on. <laughs> Basically, he's a symbologist in that he has sensors that light up when there's a puzzle present. He's a tool to allow the author to include a bunch of puzzles and speak from authority that you sure are smart for... for for wanting to know about these puzzles. Right, but he doesn't actually... There's no context for the... Like, it has to make up context for the things it discusses. Yeah. I'm very bad at explaining these conceptual ideas while I'm... Words bad. Yeah, I... I yeah, the, the use of, like, an understanding of symbology and cryptology and and symbolism and, and historical context is lacking... Because he's only locked into the one particular perspective, he's not interested in patterns in music, patterns in pop culture, pattern... Oh, yes, he noticed The Little Mermaid, but he's he doesn't notice patterns in the mundane. He doesn't notice encoded themes or anything. Boy, fuck. The Disney, the Disney shit feels like self-parody because the whole point behind the the little mermaid shit he doesn't talk about the penis castle by the way is that clearly ariel is a representation of the obviously redhead mary magdalene who was obviously a redhead despite being you know middle eastern not to say there aren't but like do you know what i mean yeah and it's weird because from the academics that i know that study themes and trends and there is a tendency to, once you're at that level of interest, to focus in on places where patterns exist that are not easily noticeable because obvious patterns aren't very interesting. There, there's a tendency to, pa- to focus on threads and ideas and, and things that are outside of one's own sphere. He's not, he, he is a plot contrivance. Also, I found that Dan Brown quote, in case you think we're full of shit about him thinking this is all true. So this is from a, um, well, he, first of all, he puts in the preface that, wow, I do worse good, how do, the preface that um, this is all true. But um, he, in an interview with Martin Savage, he uh, he was quoted as saying, 99% of it is true. All of the architecture, the art, the secret rituals, the history, all of that is true. The Gnostic Gospels, all of that is all that is fiction, of course, is all that is fiction, of course, is that there's a Harvard symbologist named Robert Langdon and all of his action is fictionalized, but the background is all true. Yeah, so the only thing that's fake is the guy who's bringing you this truth, y'all. And then <sighs> we find Mary Magdalene's fucking corpse. By the way, we don't Sophie like to see it or is anything. not 
part of this. Sophie stops and stays with, like, her family. And Langdon doesn't even tell her that he's about to go find Mary Magdalene's corpse. Not because- that doesn't affect her. That doesn't include her, you know- She wouldn't be interested in this thing that's apparently part of her historical legacy. And the reason that her grandfather, from whom she was estranged, and the reason, indirectly, that she was estranged from him- To do- Died. Fucking historical relic? It's back in that goddamn museum! No, I it's died! It's outside the museum! It's in the pyramid! Because you see, the pyramid outside the Louvre has a corresponding yonic cavity beneath it that, that is an inverted pyramid and therefore a vagina. And then beneath it, yet, they, the fucking, <laughs> the, the fucking truth knowers stuck her corpse underneath the pyramid in the Louvre. And he goes there I, and, and, the, and and he pray. He go and he pray. He pray to the non-divine but incredibly symbolically significant I ju- which, like, corpse of a dead woman who fucked a guy once. And listen, you don't have to appreciate historical shit as being actually divine or religious, but like, that's not a well-developed theme in this book. Why does this fucker pray well and besides and the also, fact that it's tacitly a conversion story but but also like he's praying to the corpse of a woman that fucked a guy once like that is all the significance she ever has in this because again there is no focus on her works there's no focus on her actual influence on anything they mention the gnostic gospels briefly once but they don't actually talk about her gospel or what's in it no and her influence isn't her influence. It's not like she had a ripple effect on the world after Jesus died. It's that, and then conspiracies happened that shaped the world. Right, the image of As, her keeps showing up, but her influence and thoughts and ideas. Fuck that, I guess. Yes, fuck that. <sighs> but, and this sort of indirectly implies that he's probably the true Pope to me. Go on. Like, to me, it feels like it's implying that, you know, the, the structure of the Catholic Church is bullshit, but what was always needed to understand and reform it was a different kind of mind. Right. Well, I mean, well, because, like, the ultimate conflict between Thierry and, and Dangden is that, is, is that T. Waffle wants to release the secrets of the Grail to the world, Whereas Langdon, after his long experience, he started out thinking that maybe public truth of this knowledge would be a good thing. But now he realizes that it's very important for secret keepers to be a thing. Because, you know, they're more important. Like, the existence of a secret is spiritually vital to the people keeping the secret. And, you know, their spiritual growth is more important, like... In aggregate. Always be secrets in the universe, whether or not you useless gatekeeping pieces of shit. I'm getting too legitimately angry. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. There will all... The human race will never know all the secrets of the universe from any angle. Stop it! And presuming to know the entirety of this woman's existence and her significance in existing is so fucking presumptuous. Mm -hmm. Because you're boiling this woman down to somebody she fucked once and hung with. Right, Liz. Like, okay, she had kids with somebody. But, like, what did she think? Why was she involved in this revolutionary movement? What did she do after Jesus died? Yeah, what was it like escaping to France? Like, like, what languages did she speak? 
What languages did she preach in? Mm-hmm. We don't know. The novel doesn't what, know. What, like, was she a rabbi? We don't know. We don't know. The novel doesn't care. No, because all that matters is that she was used as an object and then became an object. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's really disheartening. Because, like, if you want to talk about divine feminine still, religions, that's And we're cool. still objectifying her vague connection to somebody's sperm. Because we're still fetishizing the people who are theoretically descended from her. Mm-hmm. Also, Langdon's the one who gets to bang the Jesus girl. Right. Who has to be a girl? Because, you know, divine heterosexual sex. Right, which uh, you would think would connect to the matriarchal line of Judaism. But again, Judaism is weirdly absent from this novel in any meaningful way. That's weird. Which, on the one hand, yay, Judaism doesn't get dragged through the mud of this novel. But also... But also, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you guys remember when Anonymous came out? You know, the Is Shakespeare Shakespeare people? I, I, I promise that I will link Kyle's anonymous video because it's very good. But the short and short of it is most people who believe the is Shakespeare Shakespeare bullshit, who just think they're being secretly edgy, Fuck. haven't... Roland Emmerich has not thought too hard about this theory. But The, ori- the entire timeline of his theory doesn't make sense! Mm-hmm. Well, but the originators of this theory are about how Queen Elizabeth had a secret bastard baby who, if we had known about him... He would have assumed the throne and history would be better. Right. Because we would still have tyrannical monarchial rule. Right. And, like, most people who have shallowly looked into this have not looked into that theory, but it's certainly there at the basis of it. And it's the same thing with this whole Priory of Sion. Oh, my God. Jesus banged a lady and had a kid once. Yeah, most I'm guessing that Dan Brown has not thought into the implicit anti-Semitism of this thick this this idea that Jesus was not divine, but also we still need to carry on the Christian missionaries that have ro- risen up to protect the secret. Fuck Paul. Fuck but, Paul in specific. But like it it does not mean that this that this idea is not at a core tenet of this thing that. Again, let me remind you, as somebody who remembers the Da Vinci Code forever, people really thought was real. Mm-hmm. Like, they would, like, take you aside and try to school you. Mm-hmm. Did you know that actually Jesus got his dick out once? Like, oh my god. Dogma was oh infinitely my- more fucking respectful. I really, really love Dogma. Like, that is a film that is extremely critical of the Catholic Church as an institution and is about a last scion of the blood of Christ, but still manages to be, like, really respectful of this va- of this idea of faith as a thoughtful process that in this one specific character's case ends up being wrapped around Christianity because she was raised Catholic, because Kevin Smith was because raised Catholic. That is how her understanding of spirituality works right like i love that movie i think it's about as respectful a take on this idea that you can have and right, fuck like, the dimension and you can do that irreverently you can do that like fucking jesus bro yeah jesus bro's a great movie yeah. i love movies that are about like hey what matters is that you're a good person and like yes there is divine power in the universe do you have to do anything with that nah nah yeah, uh-huh. that does seem to Just be a, don't be a dick. Right. That does seem to be a tenet of most of these is like they have to theoretically work around the concept of, okay, what if there was some manner of divine thing to move the plot? 
Yeah, and, and in this, it fa- it gets off on not showing demonstrations of divine power because it's better than that. Right. It, it's it's like at the absolute apex of holier than thou and asshole atheist. Right. It's both at once and it's really weird. Yeah. Because, like, you silly fools who, if you thought that, like, Jesus was any kind of divine figure, you dummy dum-dum. But by making, uh, by making Brownden a symbologist and having him know all this stuff about lore, it tries to make it about how the, like, actual divine powers aren't a thing, but the echoes and ripples throughout history and the shaping of our society are what actually matters, while ignoring the fact that, like, what about the parts that are bullshit? Well, and we just talked about this. Hogfather is like a whole fucking book slash miniseries about how maybe divinity isn't real, but the power that we assign to symbols matters. Yeah. And it does it in a way that doesn't belittle the people who believe in the power of those symbols. Yeah, but this doesn't understand symbols so much as emojis. (laughs) (laughs) It is funny because it's sad. (laughs) He's an emoji translator. (laughs) This book is so bad. Oh, I, it's God. so bad. Please don't read it. It's really bad. Please don't. Like, it's go bad ahead. and upsetting and angering. There is some very interesting and well-written criticism of this of this book. An entire Wikipedia article. Yeah, there is uh, linked on the main page for the Da Vinci Code. There is an entirely different page called Criticism of the Da Vinci Code, which is very good and makes me warm in my heart. Although it is it is hard to find online now the proliferation of like documentaries and and counter academic articles on why this is stupid and wrong and poorly researched actually but i assure you that they are out there and well worth your time frankly yeah and but yeah this is a very stupid frustrating anger making book i'm glad we're drunk i'm very (laughs) glad we're drunk just some of you may have seen my tweets in relation to this book when I was sober, and it wasn't a good time. Oh, God. I'm, I'm glad we, we decided to talk about a dude for a change, because I you know, I know you did not want this book club to be entirely about sh- yeah, shitting I, on women. Well, I specifically didn't want it to be about shitting on women writing genre books. like mm-hmm. Because I have immense respect for many, many subgenres of romance and many, many subgenres of gothic and horror and and those tend to be, you know, either female-fronted or female-consumed genres, and they tend to get a lot of stick mm-hmm. for many reasons, but also because misogyny, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I mean, those books we talked about were bad, but also... Though they were bad. They were bad books written by women. But also the genre as a whole, that misogyny, though. Yeah, and, and the reactions to the genre, that mm-hmm. misogyny. Let's talk about a dude next time, too, and then next time, and then the time after that, we'll go back to talking about a bad book written by a lady. Okay, you want to talk about a dude that we both really respect, who is unequivocally noted, unequivocally noted as an important luminary in compassionate, rational thought, who we've already talked about how much we love him? I like that idea. Perhaps proof that even a very good author can have some shit early stuff in his canon. Color of Magic? Color of Magic by Terry Pratchett, guys. 
All right, I'm going to go drink like a bucket of water now. I hope you all have a very good and safe holiday and New Year's. All right, I'm going to go enjoy some of the ham Sean brought. Fuck yeah, he's ham. Visiting us. Really good Christmas ham. I hope that those of you celebrating Christmas have a good one. Those of you not celebrating it are rolling your eyes at this Christian bullshit that we just read. Hooray, everybody wins. And everybody in between has a good December and a better 2018. Yay. We love you guys. Stay safe. Take care.